they weren't casualties of war. These were men that uh, that the you know that the government found to be threatening because they were raising their voices uh, for the atrocities that were being committed against uh, the Salvadorian people. So I think um, their their recently beatification is only um, you know it for me their beatification signifies that justice may not come immediately but it has been 30 years since uh since the the martyrdom of monsignor romero of the of the martyrdom of padre rutilio and the others uh and justice has been served and justice continues to be served because um the the people haven't forgotten hi and welcome back to another episode of reclaiming social justice a podcast that seeks to read the signs of the times through the lens of Catholic social teaching and rediscover our call to work for a more loving and just society. My name is Danny and I am the social justice coordinator at St. Anthony's Catholic Church in Tigard, Oregon and the host of this show. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, welcome. I'm so glad you tuned in and I hope that you subscribe to get future episodes. You can subscribe on any of your favorite podcasting platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts but there's many others as well. If you're a fellow St. Anthony parishioner, remember you can find this podcast at our church website at satiger.org slash reclaimingsj. Whatever platform you choose to listen on, you can expect new episodes monthly on the last Wednesday of the month. In this episode, I speak with Leah Salinas. Leah Salinas is the director of Hispanic ministry in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. And she serves as vice president of the National Catholic Association of Diocesan Directors of Hispanic Ministry. Leah has worked in Catholic ministry for over 20 years, serving in the Archdiocese of Miami, Washington, Baltimore, and the Diocese Diocese of Arlington. This episode was recorded and is being released during Women's History Month. So we talk about the influential women from her life, blessings and challenges she has experienced as a woman in the church, and more broadly, the role of women in the church. In the month of March, we also solemnly remember and celebrate the lives of two very inspiring future saints, or one is already a saint, actually, Blessed Rutilio Grande and Saint Oscar Romero, both martyrs from El Salvador. So we talk a bit about them and the impact their stories have had on Salvadorans today. And of course, we also get to hear from Leah who or what first taught her to live a faith that does justice. I'm confident you will enjoy this conversation. Remember, you can always send me your thoughts about this and past episodes, as well as recommendations of the podcast overall, by completing a short feedback form. You can find the link in the show notes. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Leah Salinas. Enjoy and make sure you stick around after the interview as I connect the themes from Leah's story to our Catholic social tradition. So who or what first taught you about living a faith that does justice, Leah? I think it started at home with my mom. Um, I was born and raised Catholic, but um, my mom has always been very much uh, an advocate for people who are suffering. Um, you know, you will often see my mom haciendo, making collections or, you know, raising funds for people, especially for people in her hometown um and she has no shame in her game you know she will um i remember this family that she was sponsoring a few years ago um and they were a family in el salvador who had been displaced 
and uh, they came into her into her hometown of San Andres. That's the name of the of the canton, and um, and and they were living in just you know out on the street. Um, they didn't have a they didn't have a house, so um, they were they were living under this uh, granero. You know, she took that family. Um, uh, to, you know, she was able to help them out and she would write letters to her friends and, you know, to her family, just, you know, explaining to them what was happening with that family. And, you know, and, and, and she would always tell us, you know, any, any, you know, any little that you could help is, is welcome. So I think I've always seen that, uh, that work of charity and justice uh, through my mom um, and, and in my family as well. As we're recording this during Women's History Month, it, I was going to ask you who, who's a powerful woman in your own life, right? That that you want to honor during this particular mom during this particular month, and, and it sounds like your mom would probably be that. Um, is there any other woman that comes to mind that has has influenced you or touched you or, or or helped you get where you are today? Absolutely, you know, when I think about, especially you know the the influence that my mother had in me. Um, you know, we, we came here to the United States, uh, when I was 12 years old and, um, my, and, and I have two, two other sisters, I'm the middle child. Um, and when I think back about our journey here to the United States, being immigrants, we didn't have anybody, anybody here. We didn't have any family. Um, so, um, you know, my sisters and I would go every day to school. So we would be occupied with school, learning English while my dad went to work. And she would stay at home by herself. And I can only imagine how lonely uh, she she was um, with no friends, you know, being in a in a different country, struggling with uh, with the language while, you know, everybody left every morning to go to their school or to go to work. Um, so but she has always been a very strong woman. So I, I definitely uh, have a lot of traits from from her. And, and I'm very blessed to have grown up that way. Um, and, and but there's also been other women in my life that I am very grateful for to have had great mentors. Um, so there's a, a woman in particular who passed away a few years ago, and her name is uh, her name was Mary Lou Miller, and um, she was my boss. But she was someone that really empowered me, um, showed me the way, uh, paid the way for me, but also encouraged me. You know, she encouraged me to go back to school. Uh, she, you know, she later in life she became my my spiritual advisor. And it was just such a wonderful opportunity uh, to be able to relate with her in so many different levels. Um, and I certainly miss her. I certainly miss her, um, her the conversations to, that I had with her because she was someone that listened very well. And it's so hard nowadays to find someone that just listens to you, that doesn't just try to you know, tell you which way to go, but someone that listens and allows you to, in your own reflection, to arrive at the, you know, if you have a question, you are the one that that needs to answer that question. Oftentimes, I think we find solace or we find refuge and we want someone else to tell us, you know, which is the way. Um, so I, I certainly have had uh, a few women in my life, but I would say uh, Mary Lou and my mom have been those strong uh, female figures in my Well, on the topic of listening and Women's History Month, actually, the next question I wanted to ask you was around the, the synod of synodality that we are in in the midst of and i i don't know about you know the parishes that 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 you that you go to but we've been doing the the listening sessions we've been calling them discernment sessions 
Um, and though they're not, they haven't been greatly attended as much as we would have hoped, but something we have heard um, come up more than once, I'll just put it that way, is, is the role of women, right? Um, so as somebody who has worked for the, who does work for the church and has worked for the church uh, for a long time, I, I was curious to hear from you in your personal experience, what have been some blessings and challenges that you have experienced as a woman working for the church? There's certainly been a lot of blessings throughout. Uh, I've been in ministry uh, from a very young age. I worked in different dioceses. I think uh, one of the, the the biggest blessing has been to be able to contribute to, um, um, you know, to the life of of the lay people. Um, to be able to have a seat at the table, um, it it certainly has come, um, you know, w- w- with a price, right? And it's, it certainly hasn't been hasn't been easy. But I think that the more um, there was a study done by Hospan Ospino a few years ago um, on Hispanic ministry at the parish and diocesan levels, and in the study he found that seventy percent uh, of of women are Latina serving in the church here in the United States. Uh, and they have different roles, uh, either diocesan roles, uh, parish, sometimes unpaid. There, a lot of them are volunteers. So I think that just being able to see the number of women who serve, certainly, um, you know, I always say that uh, women are you know, they're game changers. They, uh, women are the ones that truly pass on the faith to the future generations, uh, from the grandmothers to the mothers. I've experienced that myself in my own family. Um, so there, there, there certainly need to be um, additional voices, especially where decisions are being made, right? There's that famous quote, you know, what, you know, what is the place for women? Women should be in every place where decisions are being made. Um, with that comes the challenges, obviously, because we are a patriarch church. Um, there's certainly been, uh, in, in, in my experience, uh, a lot of roadblocks, a, a lot of uh, um, machismo, uh, in in the church, uh, not only uh, not only from the clergy, but also us women also sometimes tend to be very clerical and very machistas because of our, especially myself being a Latina, um, I've certainly experienced that. You know, and it, it takes a strong woman to take a stand. It it, it takes a strong person to um, to be a game changer, and it takes a a, a strong personality to to also. Um, you know, denounce injustices and to make sure, you know, that the voices of women are, are being heard. I have, you know, in the past few years, I have been really blessed to uh, to have had the roles that, I, that I've had. And I honestly say that God has opened many opportunities for me, but it has also been opportunities that I haven't been afraid to knock on doors um, and, you know, and to, and, and to look for opportunities that are going to better myself, that are going to support the causes that I I believe in, uh, but there's certainly a, a, a long road to, to go. I think what Pope Francis is doing right now, and there's many women theologians and many others who are leading the way in making uh, in making changes in the structure of the church so that the voices of women are not only heard, but that women are sitting at the places where decisions are being made, not just in society, but in the church as well. Yeah, I, I find um, what you said about how You've experienced machismo not only from from the clergy, but from sometimes women themselves. And 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 I'm just keeping listeners in mind who might not be Hispanic and that might not be familiar 
with that that term, which comes from Spanish, right? Uh, machismo. What just briefly can you define what that means, and and can you go a little bit deeper into um, what that looks like? Um, and I think for some people, we're like, oh, women could be machistas. That that might be a new kind of concept or something new that they're hearing. So can you go into that a little bit more? I think machismo mainly um, is um, is a. Uh, uh, it comes from the belief of men being superior or women being inferior to men. Uh, it comes from, especially in the Latin culture of uh, uh, this, uh, this sense of that, you know, manly is better or that the world is ruled by by men and that the women's uh the women's place is in the house taking care of the children um and 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 really a very close mentality of uh of male superiority um that's how i would best define uh, machismo and it is displayed um in different um in different ways uh it comes it comes to to surface in in many different manners, um, but it, it's something that's very much ingrained in in Latino culture and other cultures as well, not just not just uh, Latinos. You mentioned that one thing that we can do to become better, right? Because I believe, like, regardless of you know what your stance on you know women in the church or or their role in in, in leadership is, I think we can always do better, right? In any issue. And, and you mentioned, you know, having a seat at the table, being in conversations where decisions are being made, especially ones that affect them directly. Are there other things that come to mind for ways that the church uh, in general can can do better to um, promote women participation and representation in the church? Absolutely. You know, women ourselves, we can't do the work alone and we need um uh, we need co-workers in the veneer, as the as the Bible explains to us, uh, and by that I mean uh, we need men, we need our brothers, uh, we need our fathers to advocate for us. So a, a, a clear example would be, uh, I think for me it's really important to have allies. Uh, in the workplace to have people who also advocate for me. I can be my own advocate, but not everybody has advocates. Not everybody, again, has um, that uh, personality to be able to knock on HR's door. I'll give you an example of that and say, I want to be compensated as my male uh, counterpart or as the other director who does a similar job uh, as myself. I want to be compensated equally. But for that, um, or whenever we have um, I think at the parishes or uh, at, at the diocesan level or institutions, um, you know, if you don't see women sitting at the table where decisions are being made, whether it's a pastoral council, whether it's a finance council, whether it's, um, you know, a, a diocesan delegation, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, invite them in, you know, uh, look around you. Uh, who are the ones that are executive directors? Uh, are they mostly male? Uh, is there a place for women? Uh, are there roles that women could uh, could be included in? Um, and I'll give you a recent example of myself. I was I was asked to serve on the senior leadership at the archdiocese uh, where I work now, um, and um, and it has been a great honor for me. And it has also been an opportunity for me, not only as a woman but as a Latina, to sit in those conversations where decisions are being made. 
uh, for for the archdiocese and for parishes, and uh, it, it is a way for me to be a voice. Um, uh, but we also need other voices uh, that need to um, support uh, the the work that women do, not just you know in the church but outside. So I always say we need allies. We need people who support us. We need uh, our our brothers who um, who also stand for us and who also advocate for us. So shifting gears a little bit, um, I really wanted to talk to you about the the four Salvadoran martyrs that were recently beatified this this past January, actually. Can you tell us a little bit about the stories of these four martyrs? Who were they? A little bit more context around their, their martyrdom. What is it about their, their particular stories that's inspiring for you? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I uh, grew up uh, during the civil war in El Salvador. So, uh, a lot of this, uh, this atrocities happened when I was, uh, when I was, uh, a very young, young girl, as I grew up, I've been able to read more and to learn more about that. You know, the sad story of the civil war in El Salvador, who, um, you know, thousands of people, civilians were killed, but among those killed, uh, and, and martyr, uh, were, uh, Padre Rutilio Grande, Father Rutilio Grande, who was accompanied by, um, to uh, two men, one young man and 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 one that served as a as a catechist, uh, and there was another uh, missionary priest from uh, Italy. Um, and who was also assassinated. Um, they they weren't casualties of war. These were men that uh, that the you know that the government found to be threatening because they were raising their voices uh, for the atrocities that were being committed against uh, the Salvadorian people. So I think um, their their recently beatification is only, um, you know, it for me their beatification signifies that. Justice may not come immediately, but it has been 30 years since uh, since the the martyrdom of Monsignor Romero, of the of the martyrdom of Padre Rutilio and the others. Uh, and justice has been served, and justice continues to be served because um, the the people haven't forgotten. And these are images; their lives represent the courageousness that these men had in, in a very difficult and turmoil time of, uh, of uh, El Salvador. Um, they, they now serve as, as the images of those, uh, you know, of, of that sad past, but also most importantly, I think they serve as images of hope that we can aspire to be, to work for, towards justice and that we can aspire to be the voice of those who don't have a voice. Um, what would you say the the impact that this is having on on Salvadorans in in their country and then here in the U.S. as well? Well, I think Pope Francis has opened up the road for this man that at some point, like Monsignor Romero, like uh, Saint Oscar Romero, who was at some point um, blame or uh, or was. Uh, a different narrative was being painted of the work that he did. Um, you know, some of them, some people accusing Monsignor of, uh, you know, or uh, adding, you know, adding adding more to the fuel to the fire. Um, when and that's actually the way that I grew up, right? What the um, what the local news and you know what the government uh, 
the narrative that the government was trying to paint of Monsignor Romero. That's that's the, those are the stories that I heard when as an adult, as I went back and all of his homilies are available on YouTube if anybody wants to listen to them. All of the all of his um, uh, of his homilies are um, and his writings are are available for for us to um, to really read on what he was preaching. And I discover on my own that the narrative that I had heard in El Salvador was different from what actually what he actually preached. I think that for the history of El Salvador and for the people of El Salvador, one, I I was amazed at um, um, I've traveled throughout Europe and to, you know, to other places in the world and to be able to uh, to be able to see the 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 love and the um, and the and the cariño the the love and respect that all over the world the image of Monsignor Romero what his you know what his death what his martyrdom signifies it's a it's a very proud moment for us as Salvadorians right to be able to uh, to 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 acknowledge that that we do have a martyr even you know now the 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 nickname given to El Salvador is El Pueblo de los Martires the the you know the the town of martyrs, uh, because of Rodilio Romero now being beatified and, and and the other and the other martyrs. Um, so I think it is a moment for us, uh, for the Salvadorian people, not only in El Salvador but the diaspora here too. It's a moment to be proud to recognize that we've come a long way. You know, as someone who grew up uh, during the Civil War and and someone who experienced that uh, very closely, uh, I can now look back on the history of our of our country and and realize how come uh, how far we've come uh, from uh, from from those uh, from those atrocities. Yes, there's still a long way to go, but we can certainly learn from the mistakes of the past, um, and that there's also been a process of healing. I think that. Um, and it still needs to happen, right? There's some there's some things that need to be reconciled, and there are things that need to be brought up to light. Uh, many many martyrs, right? That that were uh, people that were murdered, um, and 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 so and that will probably will never be recognized. But I think for as a Salvadorian, as an immigrant here living in the United States, I'm always proud to to talk about Monsignor Romero, to talk about the other people, you know, people who gave their lives and, and my own personal experience as well growing up as a child and, you know, in a, in a civil war. Um, but I think ultimately it is an opportunity for us to be proud of the way um, of the way things change again. There's a lot of work that needs to be done, but that, you know, with time, healing and justice can come about. Yeah. And, and I find that so amazing that in your experiences traveling uh, different places in Europe and, and seeing images of Oscar Romero, that's, that's, that's honestly really surprising, but really touches my heart, you know, because I don't hear too many people who are who are not Hispanic or who are not Salvadoran talk about. Oscar Romero here in this country, you know, so why for, for people who are not Hispanic, for people who are not Salvadoran, why is he somebody that we should be praying to or should be turning to in these difficult times that we're in? I can tell you for me, um, what moved me the most about uh, Monsignor Romero, uh, Saint Romero, while he was assassinated uh, as he celebrated mass, for me, uh, which is a very tragic thing that happened in the history of El Salvador, but for me, the key to Monsignor's message is in his homilies what he preached. He was so courageous. Uh, and he 
um, in, in a very, again, in a very turmoil time when he knew he was going to be killed. He knew that his brother, uh, his very close friend, Rutilio Grande, um, I think that really shook him to the core when um, um, Rutilio Grande was assassinated. And, and I think that really opened up his, uh, um, it really opened up Monsignor Romero to start preaching harder and harder and, 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 and to, to raise the voice of, of the people who were being annihilated and, and who were being killed. So for me, a reason to pray for St. Oscar Romero is just for courage for courage to stand up for those who don't have a voice, uh, for courage to be able to call things as they are um, when there are injustices being made, where there are atrocities you know, uh, that are happening around the world. We see it very much with Pope Francis calling out right now in the war of Russia. His words actually, uh, uh, Pope Francis today just uh, gave a, a, a uh, his message today was imploring the leaders of the world to stop the war. Uh, and it reminds me so much of those words that Archbishop Romero made in one of his last homilies, where he denounced the war and asked everyone to put down their arms and to stop killing. He said, you know, stop killing your brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters. So um, that was that to me, I think it's a very powerful message that resonates, you know, it resonated then and it resonates now. Well, Leah, as we start drawing to a close here, is there anything else that you want to share? Um something that hasn't been asked or been brought up in our conversation? No, just thank you for the opportunity to uh, to briefly talk about my experience in the church and to talk about uh, my experience growing up in El Salvador. And, and that's something that I'm very passionate about to, to talk about, Monsignor um, Romero. I am very blessed to have been able to meet a lot of people here from San Miguel, the hometown of Monsignor Romero, who actually knew him, who actually were you know young children or who uh, uh, walked alongside him at some point. So to hear those stories too, of people who actually knew him, uh, it, it's just been a tremendous blessing. All right, that concludes my conversation with Leah Salinas. We're now going to transition to the teaching segment of the podcast. I call it the teaching segment not because I'm going to give a sermon, lecture, or anything like that, but rather because this is the part of the show where I highlight the guest's words, a theme, something that stood out to me and connected to our Catholic social teaching using relevant excerpts and quotes from this tradition. In so doing, I hope that you, the listener, can see the value of this teaching and be inspired to get to know it even better so that you can use it as you strive to make the world a better place. In our conversation, Leah mentioned how inspiring it was for her to directly listen to or read Oscar Romero's homilies. So I thought it was fitting to draw from his final Sunday homily for this episode's teaching segment. Now let's remember when this occurred. This occurred the day before he was to be assassinated. So keep that in mind as you listen now to these prophetic words. In the first part of my conversation with Leah, we talked about blessings and challenges that she has experienced as a woman working in the church. One of the main obstacles she notes is the machismo coming from not only the clergy, but the laywomen themselves. These are obstacles that not only hinder women's active participation and involvement in the church, but more importantly, this diminishes their God-given dignity and worth. And this is not what Jesus has taught us. This is not what he has showed us by his example. Jesus uplifts and sanctifies women. And St. Oscar Romero recognizes this when he is preaching about Christ speaking to the Samaritan women. 
where he says, quote, This text provides a fine example of Christianity's promotion of women. If women today have attained a status similar to that of men, it is due in large part to this gospel of Jesus Christ. In those times, people were shocked when Christ spoke with the Samaritan women, since it was below men's dignity to talk with women. But Jesus knows that we are all equal. Now there is neither Greek nor Jew, neither man nor woman, but all are children of God. Women should be doubly grateful to Christianity because it is Christ who by his message has affirmed the greatness of women. Those feminine gifts can reach great heights, but often they are not promoted or appreciated due to the machismo of us men. End quote. We know at a spiritual level we are all equal, but sadly this is not reflected in our everyday experiences. Though women have achieved similar status to men today, we still have a way to go. Praise be to God for women like Leah, who have the boldness and courage to speak up for themselves and demand what is their due, what they deserve in justice. Yet, as Leah stated, they need allies too. Everybody needs allies. I have talked about this in earlier episodes. Just go to the one on the walk for life. So, But I want to reemphasize this here again. Men, we need to step up. And I start with myself. I need to examine. We need to examine and denounce any machismo sentiments that we have in our hearts and in others. Our society for women today is better, but we still have work to do, especially in the church. Like I said in the interview, we can always do better. We need to do better for women are the backbone of our churches and our family. We need to follow the example of Jesus. Jesus when he speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well. Another point that Leah makes in our conversation is about the narrative that was being painted about Oscar Romero during his life and even after his death. These narratives unfortunately had a major impact in his cause for canonization. He was accused of things like being a Marxist, communist, or focusing just too much on politics and not the faith. Leah herself said that she was influenced by this type of narrative. That is, until she decided to read and listen to his words herself with no filter. That's when her eyes were opened, and she realized how false these stories of Romero were. Romero himself was well aware of what was said about him. He says, quote, I am well aware that many are scandalized by such speech and claim that it's meddling in politics instead of preaching the gospel, but I don't accept that accusation. I am making an effort to communicate everything taught by Second Vatican Council and the bishops meeting at Medellin and Puebla. I do this so that we don't just have it on paper and study it theoretically, but rather make it a reality and apply it to our situation of conflict. This is how the gospel must be preached for our people. That is why as I listen all during the week to the cries of the people and behold so much horrible crime and such shameful violence, I ask the Lord to give me appropriate words for consoling, for denouncing, and for calling to repentance. Though I continue to be a voice crying out in the desert, I know that the church is trying hard to fulfill her mission. End quote. This is such an important message for all of us working for social justice, especially in the church. Like Romero, I too am well aware of people's negative attitude toward things like this podcast or just social justice ministry in the church in general. That's why I'm so inspired by Oscar Romero, and I hope that he inspires you too. His message challenges us to speak especially when we know there will be resistance or pushback or worse, persecution and death. Nonetheless, we must aspire to be like him, a voice for the voiceless. I don't want to romanticize this mission, however. This is hard and terrifying work. That's okay. Monsignor Romero himself wrestled with this fear of being kidnapped, attacked and killed. He had his Garden of Gethsemane when he thought about his destiny. For those of us today, we must always take time to care for ourselves to renew our hearts and remember why we do what we do. We don't need more angry and hateful people in the world. 
And unfortunately, I see too much of that in social justice circles, that anger, that hate, that vitriol. As people of faith, we're called to be better than that. We're called to love. We're called to just not only preach it, but to model it. So if we want to be the voice for the voiceless, what does that look like in practice? How do we speak up on their behalf? As Leah mentioned, it involves calling things as they are. That's what Romero did. He spoke truth to power. He painted a picture of the world as it is when he described bluntly the situation of El Salvador, especially the lived experiences of the poor campesino. But when prophets like Romero do this, the people in power throw a fit. But that's not a surprise at all, is it? Let's listen to what he says in this comedy related to this subject. Quote, I have no desire for power, and that is why I am completely free to tell power what is good and what is bad. I can tell any political group what is good and what is bad, and that is my duty. End quote. Well, my brothers and sisters listening to this podcast, that is our duty as well. I, I hate seeing people get political to the sense that their alliance is with a particular party. As Catholics, we're not called to be that. Yes, we're called to be involved in politics, right? But we're not called to be partisan. And I think that when we um, liberate ourselves from these categories, from these parties, then we're able to do what, what Oscar Romero did. Right. Say, OK, you Democrats, this is this is good what you do here, but this is bad and vice versa. You Republicans, I like what you do here, but we can we can work on this area and be better here. Lastly, I want to leave you in full with the last part of this homily. And this is really the most important part. That's why I didn't want to chop it up. But instead, I'm just going to give it to you in full. And again, remember, as I said at the top of this segment, Remember when this happened. This happened the day before he was assassinated. So listen here what he says to the people who are oppressing the poor, the campesinos in El Salvador. Quote, I would like to make an appeal, especially to the men of the army, and concretely to the National Guard, the police, and the troops. Brothers, you are part of your own people. You are killing your own brother and sister campesinos. And against any order a man may give to kill, God's law must prevail. You shall not kill. No soldier is obliged to obey an order against the law of God. No one has to observe an immoral law. It is time now for you to reclaim your conscience and to obey your conscience rather than the command to sin. The, ter- the church defends the rights of God, the law of dignity and the dignity of the human person, and therefore cannot remain silent before such great abominations. We want the government to understand well that the reforms are worth nothing if they are stained with so much blood. In the name of God, then, and in the name of this suffering people, whose laments rise up each day more tumultuously toward heaven, I beg you, I beseech you, I order you, in the name of God, stop the repression. That concludes this episode of Reclaiming Social Justice. Thank you for tuning in and thank you, Leah Salinas, for making the time to come on the show to share your story. Please make sure to share this episode with your friends and family and subscribe to Reclaiming Social Justice wherever you listen to podcasts. I would really love to hear what you think about the podcast in general, but this episode specifically, there's a feedback form in the show notes. Thank you for your thoughts, for your suggestions, and your kind words for those of you who have reached out. I look forward to hearing from everybody else. Before wrapping up, I want to make a special announcement. This was an invigorating episode to record, edit, 
and publish. This whole month of March has filled me with life and motivation because of the two individuals referenced in this episode, Blessed Rutilio Grande and St. Oscar Romero. As a Salvadoran American and social justice minister in the church, I am so moved by their witness. I really identify with their story. I feel their presence and intercession very strongly right now. The more I learn about these two saints and the more that I discover and listen to music and songs about their holy lives, the more consolation and joy that I experience. So much so that I feel moved to officially dedicate this entire podcast to their intercession. I make you, St. Oscar Romero, and Blessed Rutilio Grande, the patron of this podcast. So to that end, I want to close with a prayer. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God of justice, with the people of El Salvador, we remember this month, St. Oscar Romero's and Blessed Rutilio Grande's compassion and love for the poor and disenfranchised. May we learn from their example to be shoulders of comfort and rest for those walking through, through storms of persecution and injustice. May we learn from their example to be a prophetic and pastoral witness where we are led by the voices of the poor and the everyday leaders in our community. May we learn from their example to be credible signs of hope in a world divided by conflict and the carnage of violence. And may we learn from St. Oscar Romero, Blessed Rutilio Grande, and all the other martyrs that the sins of El Salvador's violent past can serve as a vehicle of change for the common good, shape our actions as servant leaders, and build a culture of love, respect, and nonviolence. O oh God, I now would like to offer you this podcast through their intercession. Moving forward, inspired by their example, I pray to use this platform to be a voice for the voiceless. Give me the grace as you gave them to be bold and courageous and willing to accept whatever your will may be for my life. Amen. All right, y'all. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode, and I'll see you next time for another episode of Reclaiming Social Justice. My name is Danny, and I look forward to seeing you next time on the last Wednesday of the month. Take care.